And I went out to my car and it was a rainy, it was a rainy day. And I walked out to my car under the windshield wipers. It still makes me cry today because I felt so scared and so unloved, but at this place of surrender, I walk out to my car and you know what, John, there was this plastic wrapping, something was shoved under the windshield wipers and I took it out and I pulled it out and it was a gift card for a hundred dollars for the grocery store. It was just the hope that I needed. It was a sign from God that, and I don't know who, I knew it was like one of my friends in the AA probably. Somebody knew I needed help. And it was this anonymous lifeline that said to me, God loves me and everything is going to be okay. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. So that was the voice of Miss Arlena A that you heard at the beginning of this episode today. We are going to hear so much more from Arlena A in just a moment. But first things first, this episode is brought to you by Kim P. and Cassandra. Kim P. and Cassandra went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, clicked on the Donate tab, and made a contribution. Thank you so much, Kim P. and Cassandra. This episode is for you. From my heart to yours, I really, really do appreciate it. So, let's talk about Arlena A. a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a wide variety of subjects, as we always do with the guest. And uh, one of the most entertaining parts of the episode for me is when uh, Arlena addressed uh, her, uh, what she called alter egos that would come out when she was uh, drunk. And uh, those were Wimpy Wendy, Badass Betty, and Slutty Karen. So... <laughs> I got a kick out of that. Uh, She also says, this is what she calls her tagline, and that is, if it was in a bottle, a bag, or blue jeans, I was doing it. Now, this is old behavior, right? Uh, Way back when she was getting sober. uh, She's not the same woman anymore, and she's going to discuss that. But uh, we talk about love addiction. We talk about uh, uh, her obsession for money. Uh, We talk about the step seven Uh, or step seven uh, and uh, her obsession in a good way with the seventh step recently we talk about the concept of surrender and um, you know the the one thing also that she said in here that I don't think I had ever heard and that is you'll hear her say that she had heard recently that if you have a problem with the word God chances are is that you have a problem with someone else's God. And it made me think about that, and and perhaps that'll uh, uh, make you think about it as well. But uh, if you need to reach out to me personally, you can either email me at feedback at soberspeak.com or john at soberspeak.com. They go to the same place. Um, If you would, please follow me on Instagram. Excuse me, Instagram. It's at sober speak, uh, all one word. And I have another ask of you, and that is if any of these speakers, any of the guests that we are bringing out um, have had an effect on you, an influence on you, a positive one, I should say, and you don't mind sharing this, or I wish you would share this with uh, a friend or family member, it sure would be appreciated. All right, so now we go to a little listener feedback, and then we will get on to Miss Arlena. So this is a letter from Mr. Jim. 
In Jim, I say a letter, it's an email, but you get the idea. And Jim writes in, and Jim says, Greetings from Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. Thanks to God, my higher power, for working through you and the Sober Speak podcast to get me back to step one and on to steps two and the prayer of step three. And soon, and as soon as I find a sponsor, I'm ready to work steps four and five and rock on from there. My new sobriety date is January 3rd, 2019. Yesterday, I attended my first AA meeting in 19 years. When I told the story of my last two weeks, one of the members of there, Bernie, said, that used to happen to me too. When I drank, I'd break out. Out to Florida, out to Mexico, out to the Caribbean. Alcohol made you break out, man. Ha ha. Hadn't ever heard it expressed that way before. You see, on New Year's Eve, I was well into my second bottle of wine here in South Carolina, having drunk my way through the holiday scotch, vodka, peppermint schnapps, and bailey. Those are some of my favorites too, uh, Jim. Uh, Anyway, my girlfriend was giving me the silent treatment made some cookies, and left them on the counter. Didn't offer me any and went to bed at nine, which gave me enough resentment and hurt and anger to pour out another couple of glasses. Then I booked myself a ticket to Oregon. Oregon. How do you pronounce that? Oregon or Oregon? But nonetheless, he went to Oregon to see his sister, an alcoholic still suffering, my uncle and other friends and family. New Year's Eve, I was potted in my chair, out of control again, and by noon on January 2nd, I was in Salem, Oregon. I am the son of an alcoholic, the grandson of an alcoholic, the nephew of an alcoholic, the brother of an alcoholic, and the dad of a serial drug abuser. So, I've known for a long time that trying to control my drinking is a frantic dance on the knife blade. Never heard that, Jim. I like that frantic dance on the knife blade. The first time I got drunk, I was 12. The first time I drank till I passed out, I was 16. The first blackout I had was at 18. I can go days without drinking, sometimes weeks, sometimes months. But once I take that first drink, I am powerless and out of control with no idea when I will again have the strength within me to sober up for a day. Now I'm 65 and I'm trying to figure this shit out. Which, according to you, makes me just another bozo on the bus. <laughs> That's right. We're all just bozos on the bus. I got so bad in 1999 and 2000 that I went to AA for a while, maybe six months. I had tremors and DTs, but I didn't get the whole spiritual thing, giving it all to a higher power. And I didn't understand why I needed a sponsor and having to spill my guts to him. And everyone I heard tell their story had done worse than me, so I decided I was an alcoholic and I was going to quit, but I was wrong. Or I wasn't an alcoholic and I quit, but I was wrong. So when I got to Oregon on January 2nd and asked myself why I was out there, I remember hard enough, I remembered enough about my previous experience in AA to decide that I needed AA. I looked for some meetings out there, but couldn't bring myself to go in. But I love podcasts, so I went looking and I found Sober Speak, and I have listened to about half of the episodes thus far. If you can imagine a guy walking all over downtown Salem, Oregon, with earbuds in his ear, ears, and smiling and laughing, and sometimes all teared up, well, that was me. Sometimes, some podcasts, like the second part from Jimmy D, The First Drink Gets Me Drunk, that hit home. And Brenda J, Do Not Be Discouraged, I listened to twice. And all that to say this, Listening to you and your Sober Speak guests these past 10 days have saved my life. Place me on the path to sobriety, my meeting between meetings, as you say. Specifically, this is what I've gotten from your podcast, John. I understand spirituality now and am ready to call on my higher power. I've spent some time in the church, but I've really had my eyes opened by the descriptions of your guests. Just this morning, I heard Chad ask talk, 
and referred to his higher power as the Force, like in Star Wars. And Renee E. said that she's fine if someone decides their higher power is a soda machine, as long as it works for them. I also heard John S. in the latest podcast say, you don't really need a higher power, that the higher power is AA. And all I gotta say is what you said, John, as long as it works for him and those who listen to his podcast... I'm fine, but I know for me, there is a God. I understand the role of the sponsor much better now. I, inter- I really appreciate your questioning style, by the way. You ask great questions and your pacing of the podcast is great. I heard Clay D talk about his first sponsor in the Navy, telling him to shut up and listen. That was hilarious. And who was it who mentioned that the sponsor's Uh, that mentioned the sponsor's prayer, God let this one be different because everyone's shit is always the same. Ha, ha, ha. I believe that may have been Andrew, but but I'm not positive, Jim. I love what Renee E. had to say about sponsoring, that if you sponsor many people and at the end you have remained sober as the sponsor, you were 100% effective. I love that crusty old sailor Clay crusty old sailor Clay D said that being out an alcoholic isn't about drunkenness. It's about insanity. And he talked about step two and returning to sanity. And I just read in the big book that continued use of alcohol leads to permanent insanity. And I think now I understand what I've been fighting. Jimmy D, among all the things he said, was, was spot on. Explained Tradition 5 to me, and then I went to read it, and I know I've been suffering so long. So yesterday, the first meeting I attended in 19 years with the Fifth Tradition in Traveler's Rest, uh, oh, was the Fifth Tradition group in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. That's great. Anyway, um, we're almost done with Jim's letter. He wrote a long one, but I really like it. I really appreciate that not all of your guests have been sober for 30 or 40 years. Some of them have, and they are an absolute inspiration. But some have been sober for only a few years, and they have been an inspiration as well. And a couple seem like they were really struggling and suffering, like the poor guy with the one leg. He still has some things to work through, and he was also insightful. Now, Now that I'm home, I have connected with local groups in South Carolina. I have a meeting today, tomorrow, Monday, almost every day. I'm searching for a home group and a sponsor, but I'm comfortable and confident and understanding now that I was now more than ever than I was over the 19 years. Thanks to you, John, I'm ready to work my steps and allow God to help me reach those who are still suffering from my own sobriety and sanity. I could go on and on, but this is but but this is so long and you have stuff to do, John, but just know I'm going to keep listening. And I'm going to keep recommending you to others. And if I can find someone with a story to tell, I'm going to recommend that they come onto your podcast. So thanks, John M., and God bless you, Jim S. P.S. Say hello to all those Bjorns in Scandinavia for me. (laughs) That's a joke from uh, one of the past several episodes. But nonetheless, hey, Jim, thank you for that detailed, very heart felt message that you sent in. I knew it was long, but I wanted to read it because it was so, so much good information in there. Lauren writes in on Instagram. Lauren says, thank you, thank you, thank you for all your hard work. I'm lapping up these episodes like a thirsty stray dog, which is what my soul feels like without AA. Keep up the great work. You are an awesome host, Lauren M. of Ozark, Missouri. By the grace of God, two and a half years clean and sober. Thanks so much, Lauren, for writing in. I'm so glad you're two and a half years sober. Um, We love You know, here's what it comes down to. All the folks who write in, I am so, so glad that Sober Speak can be just a very small part of your recovery, right? I, I know this is not 
recovery as a whole. You know, this is just a small part. It is like the meeting between meetings. You know, the real recovery happens in the meetings and it happens with sponsors. It happens within the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Christiana, I hope I'm pronouncing that name uh, correctly, wrote in from Seattle, Washington. She says, hey, John, uh, I just discovered podcasts. I seem to be stuck on yours. I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm listening to all that you have available. I've got nine years clean and sober. My sober date is March 3rd, 2009. Keep the podcast, keep the episodes coming, please. Um, I love the format all the, and all that you do. I especially love the women speakers like Brenda J, but I also really enjoyed Sunny M. It's such a good mix. Christiana R from Seattle. Christiana, thank you so much for writing in. Uh, once again, anybody who wants to follow us on Instagram, I respond to most of the direct messages there and comments. I'm at, at Sober Speak. Now, we are on to Miss Ariana A. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So we are sitting here today with Miss Arlena A. from Northern California. You're in Northern California, right, Arlena? I am. Yeah. yeah. Glad you're here. So we had talked about this right before we started the podcast. We're going to try a little bit of experiment here because usually before I start every single podcast with the guest, we will say a little prayer offline. But Arlena had a great suggestion. She said, you know what? I think I'm going to we'll talk about her podcast in a second. But she said, I think I'm going to try to start doing that on my podcast. And maybe we could just record the prayer as opposed to doing it offline. And so we're going to give this a shot here. So... Dear Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the time that Arlena and I have together today. We pray that we may grow closer to you. And we pray that we may grow closer to each other. And we, may, we pray that we may grow closer to the audience that is listening to this. And hopefully, Father, we can lay down something here that will provide guidance and hope for those who are listening around the world. In his name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for suggesting it. All <laughs> right. So Arlena herself uh, has a uh, podcast. Uh, we are, as, as podcasters kind of get together, we hang out <laughs> together, we talk to each other. Uh, and, you know, and it's always interesting when I, when I know I'm going to interview a podcaster, if I'm doing this in a, a remote way, I know that they have the equipment, they know basically the setup, they know what's going on. Uh, so it makes it a little bit easier. Easier. Uh, so with that being said, number one, actually, Arlene, I want you to give your, uh, your name, well, I've given your name, Arlena, and then your sobriety date, uh, kind of tell people what area of the country you're from. And mm -hmm. then I want, the, and then if you would go ahead and talk a little bit about your podcast and why you started it and what it means to you. Sure, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, so yes, my name is Arlena A. So if you haven't worked it out, my initials are AA, which is kind of <laughs> funny. <laughs> I guess you were destined, huh? I know, right? Well, the the second A came after I got married, uh, after I got sober, but um, still, it kind of kind of makes for a fun little comment there. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, my sobriety date is April twenty third of ninety four. So um, I actually got sober just after my my twenty fifth birthday. So I've been sober nearly half my life now. Mm -hmm. um, and let's see, I am in Northern California. I'm actually in Silicon Valley, so just south of San Francisco. And um, let's see, the podcast. So actually, I have a pretty cool story about the podcast. So is that okay if I tell like it? Oh, yeah. So um, I had actually, I've been in high-tech sales for some time now, and I had actually started a sales podcast. And... Um, after a while, and I was really enjoying it and thought it'd be cool, but you know what was really on my heart? Or maybe I should call you JM. I don't know. Is that a Texan thing? Do no, people do that? No, in fact, uh, I get JM all the time. Do you? Okay. I do. All right. But it was really on my heart to do a recovery podcast, but I was feeling conflicted because, um, you know, there's some traditions and in 12-step programs that talk about being anonymous at the, uh, you know, maintaining your personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. So I felt conflicted and I wasn't sure what to do. It was really on my heart and it wouldn't go away. And 
So tragically, a girlfriend of mine um, passed away suddenly. She was in a, she was at the, I go to a 6 a.m. meeting every day and she was there in the morning at 6 a.m. She died three hours later and uh, she was in a car accident, a single car accident. And it really clarified for me. I thought, you know what? There is no later, you know, and, and who am I? Who am I holding off for? Like, this is a, um, a dot, an idea that has, keeps coming to me. It felt like it was God led. And I don't, I didn't know who I was trying to appease by avoiding this idea that kept coming to me. And when Gina, my girlfriend, Gina died, I thought, you know what? There is no later. This has been on my heart. I don't know what I'm waiting for. So I'm going to do it. So, um, I started doing the podcast and, uh, I wanted to, I did it because I wanted to share everything that I have been learning, not just in recovery, but um, because I started on this path of, you know, like self-discovery that um, has led me down many roads. I started learning, um, seeking out different teachers um, like Eckhart Tolle, who wrote The Power of Now and A New Earth. Um, I started studying something called A Course in Miracles. Marianne Williamson is a lecturer on, on, and she's an author. And I learned about that early in my recovery. And that really changed my life. Some of my other teachers I really like, like Tony Robbins is somebody that presented some information that I thought was just really interesting in the sense that if you change your mind and you change your beliefs, you can change your life. I actually started, uh, I was introduced or exposed to him prior to recovery. And I think that sort of made it easier for me to accept ideas of the recovery um, principles. Um, so I've just been, I, I'm a seeker. I'm a seeker and I'm a doer. So I, I really wanted to share everything that I have been learning with a broader, a broader audience, sort of like mainstream, because um, I'm a, of the belief that um, it doesn't matter what the problem is, the solution is the same. And the solution is simple, the solution is spiritual, and it has nothing to do with the problem, right? Like we don't gain, we don't find the light by further investigation of the darkness, right? Which is something I learned from Marianne Williamson through the Course of Miracles. So that's that's really kind of why I started the podcast. I really wanted to share everything I've been learning, and you know, my primary purpose is to help others and to carry the message of recovering. So, what's your experience with it so far? With the podcast, it's yeah. been extraordinary. Um, so, I keep I hate to keep telling you horrible stories, but um, so my first guest, my friend Katie, this is so, such a crazy story. So, Katie was my first guest, and she was a very dear friend of mine. Um, she was a very first guest, and it was kind of funny because you know those your first few interviews are the most awkward and kind of you're still trying to figure everything out and. But Katie, on the 5th, I think it was, was the anniversary of, of her death. She died suddenly two weeks after her 40th birthday from the flu. Yeah, it was so tragic. What was amazing was I got a, I got a, an, a message from her sister. She had uh, a younger sister who they had kind of had some issues. Katie had actually lost custody of her kids because of her um, drug and alcohol use. And she lost custody because her sister let her husband know that, she, you know, what was going on. And then I think through a series of events, and I'm not, I'm not I wasn't privy to 100% of all the details, but the story that I got from it was, you know, her sister Sierra had a, had a part to play in that. And, and it, when Katie died, I know Sierra felt a lot of guilt, but in the podcast uh, with Katie, she had shared that not only had she forgiven her sister, but she was grateful. She was grateful that um, because, because of what happened, she bottomed out. You know, she found her bottom. She had a moment of clarity and was able to, you know, that was part of, you know, losing her kids was part of the reason why she got sober, you know. And um, she was actually grateful to her sister for that. And had I not done the podcast, I'm sure maybe it would have come out eventually, but you know, it was a beautiful thing to get that call from her sister to say um, she found peace and knowing that her sister had forgiven her. 
you know, that was, Beautiful. yeah, that was probably, you know, the most, the most dramatic, you know, but I gotta tell you, you know, every once in a while I get an email from somebody or some feedback from a listener on Facebook that said, Hey, that says, Hey, you know, um, I really appreciated hearing so-and-so story. I, you know, it gave them hope and, you know, you get, you hear these stories every once in a while and it just kind of makes you feel like, okay, if I can just help one person, then it's all worth it. I don't know. What's your experience been? Do you get a lot of feedback or do you yeah. sometimes feel like you're in a vacuum a little? No, I, you know, I do lately in the beginning, it was like, I was just hoping a few of my friends would listen to this, right? <laughs> right. Uh, but lately I've been getting uh, quite a bit of feedback uh, and it's positive and it, and it is, it's, it's what gives me gas in the tank. Uh, it, it's what propels me forward in order to do this. Um, but okay, so let's get back to you. And oh, by the way, and we haven't mentioned it yet, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes. Uh, uh, but Arlena's podcast is named ODAT Chat, O D A A T Chat, like one day at a time. Chat, yeah, right? <laughs> I know. I don't know if that was a great idea to name it that or not. People are like, ODAT, what is that? What do you mean? And so it's like, oh, it's one day at a time. I just get, I'm so indoctrinated into right. 12 step that right. I feel like everybody should know that. But well, and I knew, you know, we even have a group here in the area where I'm from in uh, North Texas. Uh, it's called ODAT, right? Uh, oh, we have one too. Do you have that? I'm sure there, my guess is there are many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So getting back to you and your story, I'm just going to kind of go right into the middle, if you will, and then we'll kind of work our way around from there. So tell me about your bottoming out. You know, what was the turning point? Where were you at in your life? What got you into recovery? I'm assuming it was Alcoholics Anonymous. Am, am I right about that? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, my recovery began in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, you know, my bottoming out was kind of a progression. I will say that I started thinking about my drinking and drug use. I, I would actually did all kinds of drugs, um, but I was, I smoked a lot of weed <laughs> primarily, you know, um, actually I stole a line from a girlfriend of mine. She was the preacher's daughter. And she, she uh, told me one time that she was high so often that not being high was her altered reality. And I was like, Wow, I want to be just like you when I grow up. Interested <laughs> <laughs> goals a little bit, but um, so anyway, um, so I began to question my drinking when I, I had a really bad night with my sister. I have an older sister, and she and I had gone out one night. And before I left my house, I drank a water glass full of red wine. And um, just to get my little pregame before I went out, and then I drove over to her house, and and because she lived closer to the you know the bar that we were going to, so I pick her up. We drive to the bar, and I don't remember a lot of that night. I remember being way too flirty and talking to some people. It's just kind of a blur. I was coming out of a coming off a breakup, and the breakup was with this um, married policeman who happened to patrol the area that I like to drink in. That's actually how we met. <laughs> it's kind of a crazy story. Uh, he actually, he was a DUI cop and he pulled me over the only night I had gone out and wasn't drinking. The only, I'm not kidding. The only night he had pulled me over and I hadn't been drinking that night. Otherwise he would have arrested me. So he, yeah, he worked for the uh, sheriff's department and he was specifically, you know, assigned to uh, look for people that had been drinking and driving. But this was the only night you had not drank. <laughs> yeah. And that's how I met him. And I was actually with a friend of mine and he pulled me over because I was driving this little cute Ford Ranger that uh, was new and didn't have the license plate on it yet. That's the reason that he pulled me over. And the girlfriend that I was with that night um, was dating a sheriff from his department and she was grilling him for information turns out he was married as well. <laughs> terrible, terrible. No morals. <laughs> um, anyway, she didn't know he was married, but I knew this guy was married. But anyway, the only, listen, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what though. The only married man I date now is my husband. Right. So <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Um, so 
back to my, the story about the bottoming out. So I was with my sister and we go out to this bar and I get hammered and on the way home, like he and I had broken up and on the way home, we passed him. He had pulled over somebody else and was giving like a field sobriety test or whatever. And my sister was driving my truck because I was too drunk and I lost my ever loving mind. She said that I just got really angry. I hit the windshield and broke it in two spots, hit it with my hand and broke it in a couple spots. Um, she said that I was um, trying to pull the steering wheel and crash the car. Listen, all kinds of crazy stuff. And she, we got into a fight and she managed to pull the truck over and she I don't, know, I don't know when or how this happened, but she said I kicked her in the face and gave her a bloody nose. I remember being outside of the truck, losing my mind. She had ran to the neighbor's house. We were very close to home and she had knocked on the neighbor's house. Someone that we knew, a childhood friend of mine and the girl's sisters, had, they were twins. They had come out to see what was going on and tried to calm me down. And they had called the police and the a different police showed up and I was very close to going to jail. And for whatever reason, um, they didn't take me in. But I got to tell you that the next morning I woke up with that. I couldn't remember what happened, but I had that incomprehensible, like the demoralization, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And I was so sick and I knew something had gone terribly wrong and I had to do make that phone call of to, to my sister and ask her what happened. So I went over to her house and she was so angry with me. She was so hurt and she was so angry. The evening that she described to me was horrifying. And I started question that's when I started questioning my drinking. And it took me about two years after that to get into a program. And what's interesting from doing the podcast and over my years of recovery and stuff, I've noticed that it takes people like sometimes like a couple years to really grapple with that idea. And I didn't go in and out of, you know, AA um, because I had spent that time grappling like what, and I started asking the questions, what is an alcoholic? When did I cross the line? My friends are drinking as much as I do. What makes me different from them? Um, you know, and the more questions I asked, I didn't come up with answers. I came up with more questions. And that's when I really started discovering all these teachers. And eventually it was like, okay, I'm the problem. Like I was the common denominator in all the problems that I had in all the relationships. And, and, um, I was doing the Tony Robbins workshops. I kept trying to change myself. I kept thinking that Actually, it was kind of funny. I kind of lived in the self-help section at Barnes & Noble because I was thinking if I could just learn what the secret was, then I could change my life. And what I realized after I got into recovery is that um, I was trying to think my way into right living instead of living my way into right thinking, right? And I didn't, I was 180 degrees away from the solution, and as it turns out, most of my thinking is about 180. It's just the exact opposite. Like I found out when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous that if I had a resentment towards somebody that I should pray for them. That was like the exact opposite of what I wanted to do. <laughs> right. I was usually plotting revenge more right. than plotting their demise. <laughs> yeah. How can I get back at them? <laughs> so yeah, it took me a while, but that's how I finally ended up in a in a twelve step program. So you got there, and then I, what was your experience like on the front end of it? So I I um, so my Eskimos. Do you guys have Eskimos? People that you meet out in life who bring you, who lead you into Alcoholics Anonymous. I've never heard that. I mean, I know what an Eskimo is, obviously, but I've never yeah. heard that term. Like an I'm AA to, Eskimo. Right. I just heard that from interviewing someone else. And I was like, oh, yeah, they brought I, me in out of the cold. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Bring you in from out of the cold. Okay, now yeah. I got it. Okay, yeah. so you had an Eskimo. I had an Eskimo. I had two. So I was in a, um, a sales position for a transportation company. And these two guys that were my customers, Mitch and Randy. And so... Mitch took me to my very first meeting and he would do things like I'd go see him and 
and I would tell him about my um, shenanigans and tomfoolery and, and he'd be like, Oh, do you think that's a problem? <laughs> and uh, I remember one time we were sitting in his office and he had the 12 steps on like a little card or something. And he, he's like, have you ever seen these before? And I had not. And my mom had actually dated somebody that was in the program when I was 14 and I had like minimal exposure. Like I went to like an AA picnic and heard some people speaking but I had never, I don't recall ever seeing the 12 steps, but he showed me what the 12 steps were and took me to my first meeting. And uh, Randy, this other guy sort of kind of shared like some basic wisdom, like you can't get drunk if you don't take the first drink. Um, Or, you know, you can't, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. And I could not predict who was going to come out once I started drinking. Like I had two alter egos. I had uh, wimpy Wendy and badass Betsy. Cause when I started <laughs> drinking, I was either fighting or crying, <laughs> which is super unattractive. Wimpy Wendy or badass Betty. Yeah. And truth be told recently I started sharing cause I realized I go, you know what? I had a third alter ego who always showed up, which was slutty Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, she always showed up to the party, no matter <laughs> who's, no matter who started the party, she always seemed to show up as well. So, and I'd heard you say on another interview, actually, I forget exact the exact tagline, but you said if it were in a a bottle, a bag, or blue jeans, yes. I was doing it. <laughs> a bottle or bl- bag or blue jeans, I was doing it. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because I mean, for a lot of people, it's like, you know, the drugs and alcohol go together, right? And I don't know, a lot of people, you know, I have, you know, part of my story is about love addiction, too. Because I really thought that love was gonna say I thought falling in love was gonna save me. And um, so what is so let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. Addiction. So uh, when you say falling in love, uh, uh, I, I guess, you know, and I've heard it referred to as this, you know, I guess finding the right guy or whatever, the, the knight in shining armor. So sure. uh, how does, I don't know, just just dive into that to the amount you want to. What What is love addiction? You know, how does it manifest itself? What does it mean? Yeah. So for me, I was always on the hunt. I always thought if I could fall in love, then my life would be perfect. It was, for me, it was about love and money, to be perfectly honest. Um, and a lot of us that grew up, you know, not, I didn't, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so um, I thought that that money and love was going to fix me. I thought that was the end game of life, you know, that I would find somebody and fall in love and get married and have a family and, you know, and if we were rich, that was, that would be awesome as well. And, um, and have like this fabulous life. Um, I was just looking for somebody to love me because I did not love myself. And I really thought that falling in love and finding the right guy would, would fix me. And what I, what I realized later in recovery is that, um, love addiction is about losing myself and, it's a distraction really because love addiction is about you. You're not really allowing somebody to reveal who they are. You have an idea in your mind of who you want somebody who in your mind is going to fix you. And it's trying that on every single person. It's like, are you this, are you this person? Are you this person? Are you this person? It's not, it's not about, you know, it really has nothing to do with them. It's all about me trying to get what I want. And some weird things happen for me in that love addiction process. It's like it turns into obsession because I'm listening to music and I'm daydreaming and fantasizing about who I think they are and what they can do for me. And what happens when I'm in that space is I'm not present, right? I'm not, I'm not really present. I'm in fantasy land. I'm not really living in reality, right? And And that's the whole idea about addiction and obsession is to remove you from the present because in the present moment, I don't like who I am. I don't even know who I am. Um, I'm not comfortable with myself. I'm not comfortable with reality. So I'm 
projecting in, in this fantasy world um, that is better there. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? It's yeah. like, like just this fantasy world is, and that's what drugs and alcohol, right? Same thing. I can take drugs and I can be high out of my mind and I'm comfortably numb. I'm not in reality. I'm not in the present moment. I'm not actually feeling my feelings. Same thing with drinking. It's, or, and, and I've seen people do it with sex and shopping and trying to fix somebody else. That's what Alan on is all about. That's the addiction to try to fix somebody else. I need you to be okay so that I can be okay, right? If, if you're happy, then I can be at peace, right? Anything outside of us. And it really, and that's why I say it doesn't matter what the problem is, the solution is the same because it's a spiritual malady, right? For me, the solution has been about surrendering to God's will, not mine, right? Like I've had to give up my lust and obsession for money and, you know, this love addiction, you know, um, I had to surrender what I thought I wanted. And um, through that process, um, you know, it's about living God's will, not mine. And I had to set aside everything. You know, there's the set aside prayer. God set aside, help me set aside everything I think I know so that your, your um, thoughts can come into my mind, you know, so... So I'm just going to do a little uh, mid-tro here, and then we'll continue. Sure. So we will be continuing our conversation with Miss Arlena AAA in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. There you will find uh, approximately 60-plus other episodes as well. Uh, you can also find the donate button on our website. If you, if the spirit moves you and you wish to use it, please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right. Now back to Arlena A. So, Okay, so I know, so you went through that, uh, and I know also, though, you're similar to me uh, in that uh, your your husband, I don't want to tell his story, but I know that uh, from other interviews you've done, he is uh, 30 years uh, uh, sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, he's 30 years sober, yeah. and, and uh, which is, I am, I, if God willing, I make it to May 29th of this year, um, I will be 30 years sober myself. And my wife, much like you, is 24 years sober in the program. So yeah. something happened along the way, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> have you guys been married? How long have you been married now? How many years? So here's the funny part. So I show up to AA and it turns out, uh, it turns out love did save me. It, it didn't show up the way I thought it would. Um, it, it showed up in the form of a group, you know, of AA. Um, but I met him and we started dating about five months after I got sober, <laughs> which is, I know, listen, they say you're not supposed the cardinal to. Rule. Right. The cardinal rule, right. Yeah, listen, we all break. Right, I broke it too. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, so and he'd been sober for several years already. Um, but you know what? We just fit like hand and glove from day one. From It was just right. And it, you know, and it was funny because I had surrendered. I was like, okay, God. If, 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 you, if this isn't what you want for me, you have to fix my heart's desire. Please align my will, my, align your will with my heart's desire. You know, if I can't fix, I can't fix my heart's desire. That's a God-sized job. And, and I was like, God, if, if you don't want this for me, you have to take it from me. So I surrendered, I get sober. Um, and so and let's I mean, back up there just a little bit. So you met in, in a, like boy meets girl <laughs> on AA campus. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, yes. was it like, uh, I mean, love at first sight. Did he, he, he was obviously sober for a little while at the time. Did they razz him about, you know, messing with the newcomer girls or anything like that? Oh, for sure. Well, it was funny because when I first met him, I, I had, I had started dating somebody. And so I'd been dating this other guy for a, a few months and uh, pretty like early in my recovery. Um, but I met Bob and it was funny because the more I got to know him, the more I started suddenly comparing him to this other guy, you know, was the other guy, guy in the program. 
No, he wasn't. And he was, he would drink beer and stuff. And, um, but he was spiritual. Like he and I prayed together. And so I was like, Oh, well, this must be the one because he has a faith in God and blah, blah, blah. And we pray and he's a nice man and whatever. Um, but, uh, the more I got to know Bob, the more this other guy started falling short. And so, um, in pretty short order, I broke it off with this other guy so that I could, that I could date Bob. And, um, and, you know, it was funny because his friends would be like, Hey, here's, you know, did you, did you meet the new girl or whatever? And he's like, Oh, she's got a boyfriend. Like, you know, he was like, Oh, it's, she's off, off limits. And, um, but it was just one of those things where it was just right. And it was just meant to be. And we started, I broke up with that other guy and we started dating and never looked back. I mean, everything fit from the beginning. God's will. Okay. So yeah. you, you talked about, uh, re- you've talked about religion and spirituality a couple of times. I'm always curious what kind of background people came from. What was their mindset coming into uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 steps and recovery? So w- what kind of religious or spiritual type of background did you have? Yeah. So I, I actually grew up in the church. Uh, my, my dad is from Kentucky and, um, he, we actually, I found out from an aunt that we have about 400 years of ministers on my, on my dad. I said, um, very, yeah. So my dad's like super uber religious. Um, my mom, not so much. Um, and she's from Mexico city. She grew up Catholic, but she wasn't like super religious. She went to church, obviously as we went as a family when I was little, um, and my parents divorced when I was about seven and she didn't go to church much, but my dad, sure did. And I was saved at a Billy Graham crusade when I was 14 and was heavily involved in the youth groups. And like I was saying, I hung out with the pastor's daughter a lot, but she was a big stoner. So I don't know where that was, but, um, I have always had, um, I've always had a relationship with God, but I, I mean, God broke up there for a little while because I didn't feel like I was worthy. Like he didn't save me. He didn't strike me white as snow and I gave up. And uh, some things happened to me when I was young. Um, I was uh, molested by a neighbor and I felt really bad. It made me feel really bad about who I was. And then I kept trying to be good and I just couldn't be good. So at some point I decided that since I couldn't be good, I was going to be good at being bad. I just gave up on God. I just felt like, God, you are not fixing me. So, and you, you, you know, I just felt like he was mad at me all the time. So I just decided you know what, I don't think we should be friends anymore. I kind of went off on my merry way and decided I was just going to do my thing. And, uh, but it wasn't until I got, I had that moment when I was at my bottom that I was like, dear God, I need help. Please help me. Right. That was like the first honest prayer I had said in years. And, um, you know, I don't remember when I said that, but I remember I was dating this guy and I remember on my 25th birthday, that was last time, that was the last time I drank. It was on my 25th birthday. And I woke up so sick the next day. I, I knew in my heart that that was the last time I was ever going to drink. Um, and I was still smoking pot for another five months because I didn't understand that uh, sobriety is about uh, complete abstinence for mind altering drugs. So that was a little disappointing to show up in AA <laughs> thinking I had five months. <laughs> the, Alas, uh, no, marijuana it, maintenance program. I was on the marijuana maintenance program and it took me 60 days to get 30. So about halfway in, I, I, um, I had, I smoked, I smoked weed again. And then I had that moment of clarity where I was like, I need to be abstinent from everything. So oh. getting back to the God and spiritual part again. So what, so can you describe uh, a thumbnail sketch of it? Cause I know that it's hard to sum up 24 years yeah. and, you know, uh, just a few seconds, but uh, are you able to describe what your God was like coming in and how it has uh, progressed and, and uh, the evolution of the understanding of your God mm-hmm. over the time, your time in recovery? That is a great question. I love that question because um, I think like a lot of people, my concept has changed dramatically over the years. You know, I've been sober a long time now, but uh, 
I was, I was willing to try again with God. I think because I had such a deep seated belief from such a young age that I was like, okay, God, I need you to save me now again. And that, so that's kind of how I've made my start back to God. And because, obviously I was going to meetings. And there was a lot of God talk at the meetings. And I was like, okay, I'm totally going to do this. And um, so for you at that point, it didn't turn you off. So, I mean, as you know, a lot of people, they hear God in the rooms and it kind of turns them off and pushes them away even sometimes. But for you, you kind of, you, you said, okay, this is down inside me. I realize there's some truth here and I'm going to latch on to it. Do I, did I hear that right? Yes. And I was cautious. I was cautiously skeptical um, because I felt burned by religion, right? So I had, I was pretty gun shy when it comes to religion. And um, I recently heard that if you have a problem with the word God, chances are you have a problem with someone else's God. And when I got to the third step with my sponsor, the second and third step where I was, I, you know, redefining what God meant to me, it was very freeing to hear that I could come up with my own concept. Like I had some rebellion going on, like I am not going to go back to the God of my father, right? I rejected that God. I thoroughly rejected that, that idea, but I knew that there couldn't be nothing, right? So I was agnostic kind of. So I began this journey. And so now it's like this God of evidence. And that's what really has, even to this day, like changed me. Um, somebody just brought up a topic in a meeting. It was a uh, divine alchemy. And I had to look up the word alchemy. What that means is magical transformation. So the topic was divine magical transformation. And it's funny because that's how I talk about God and the process of the 12 steps. I was told that if you work the 12 steps, the 12 steps would work you. And I had tried every, I had tried my way and it wasn't working. So I was willing to try anything. And so I submitted fully surrendered to the process. And my concept of God almost led me back to where I started, which is, oh, okay. So the people at church were happy all the time. They were actually, you know, maybe they were, weren't really, because I thought they were being fake. Turns out they were just doing the best they can, just like people in the program, right? I go to meetings where people are just doing the best they can. And Maybe they have some struggles on their heart, but they show up at church. Maybe that's the one place where they feel happy, you know, where they feel like, well, that's where God lives, you know, because I have had the experience where I walk into a a room of Alcoholics Anonymous and I breathe a sigh of relief. Like, I don't even know I'm so uptight and tense until I get into that room because then that room is safe and that's where God lives for me sometimes. And I just kind of release and go, I made it. You know, maybe that's how they were feeling too. Maybe they, you know, maybe those people were showing up all tense and then they walk into the the church and that's where God lives and that's where they're safe. You know what I mean? So I had a different interpretation of that whole experience. I changed, you know, my perception changed. And so, um, it, yeah, it's just, you know, I, 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 you know, I have just come to accept all religions, all, all matters of, like whatever works for you, I'm cool with that. You know, whatever leads you to a place of love and peace, I'm I'm all good. I have I have no problem with any of that. And I was just grateful that I had an opportunity to redefine what God meant to me, and, and that was my beginning. And it just evolves. Yeah, and I uh, I um, say often that uh, I I hope I pray that I do not have the same conception of God now that I do today, uh, that I do in uh, four to five years from now. Mm. Uh, I hope that uh, I'm uh, uh, growing and becoming and viewing my relationship with him in a different way. Uh, and, I, and I'll tell you also, a, a buddy of mine, named, when you were talking there, it reminded me of a buddy of mine named Steve G, who's actually been on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he struggled, and I'm not telling his story, so to speak, he's put it out there on this podcast. And that is, mm-hmm. he said he struggled with uh, uh, the Catholic Church and he had some very good reasons. Uh, I'll just put it that way. I understand. And uh, one time he went back for a funeral and um, he was watching the funeral inside the Catholic Church and he looked out at the people that were in the pews and he said, 
you know, these people are getting what they need and how they need it. And I, th- I think that's a great way to explain it, Arlena. What, what you said is that it's like me when I go up to a uh, an AA meeting, you know, there's just something that, you know, I just kind of breathe out. I, you know, there's just something <laughs> I go, okay, I'm with my people, you know, and, and then yeah. I'm sure they feel the same way. Yeah, there's something about walking into, you know, like in Alcoholics Anonymous, we find a new normal. You know, we, we find that, you know, we're not, we're not like everybody else. You know, we have different kinds. We have very typical um, kinds of character flaws and self-centeredness and um, character defects and things like that. But we can walk into a room where everybody else is working on their own character defects. And we, we just, we get each other. It's like, y'all get my kind of crazy. And, and that's very comforting to me. And it's like, we're all trying to do better, but thank you for understanding. <laughs> thank right. you for your patience <laughs> That's right. as I grow up. Well, tell me, so we're, we're, we're coming down to the, uh, to the end of our time here. Do, what is there? And I've asked this question before. I actually got it from another podcaster, uh, uh, not a, a recovery podcaster, but you know, the question is if you were to be able to rent out a billboard, so to speak, <laughs> and you could put anything on that billboard that you would like to yeah. regarding recovery, and you wanted people Whoa. to read it as they were passing by, or perhaps it'd even be a visual, I don't care, but you know, nowadays you can do all kinds of things with billboard, but what would you plant on that billboard that you would want other people to see and know? Oh, so um, I've heard that question before, too, from um, a different podcaster. Can we say his name? Tim Are we- Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, yeah. I'm yeah such a huge fan. Yeah, did you know that he's, uh, I don't know if you heard his latest episode, he's um, talking about doing a book on recovery. And really? So, yeah, so I think it's going to be amazing. And um, it's so hard, like, that's such a great question. And um, I don't know that I have a great answer for that. Um, maybe uh, trust God. Trust God, clean house, work with others, something like that. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah, that kind of it kind of sums up the program, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go with that. I, I thank you for your um, addition. Yeah, I, because that all three is so important. You know, it's like love and service. Patience, love, and tolerance, maybe, you know, but um, that's a great question. Patience, love, and tolerance. I like that, too. Yeah. That's our code, right? That's right. Yeah, love and tolerance. It says you added one on there. Does patience? The I add but, patience? Right. It should be on there. Patience isn't Ooh. on there, but it says love and tolerance is our code. But there, I mean, but it talks about patience in the big book. It's just not. Uh, and probably plagiarizing from the 12 and 12. I've been obsessed <laughs> with that go. lately. <laughs> Yeah, listen, I've been obsessed with uh, with step seven in the 12 and 12. Well, talk about that. What do you mean by that? I'm in a place where I had a rough year last year professionally, um, just working with some personalities that were challenging. And I, I lost myself into negativity a little bit. And uh, my husband started, um, he has a, a group of friends, and they were doing this seven-step challenge. And so they were reading step seven for seven days. Actually, I take it back. They read step one and then step two, you read step two for two days, step three, you read that for three days and on and on. And so he, we were reading step seven together for a week. And listen, I have no, I know I've read step seven before I've had, it's highlighted, it's underlined, but I don't know why it, it just has hit me so hard because it's about character building rather than comfort seeking. And it talks about humility being the foundation for all the other steps. And I was like, really, humility? And that's really about, um, I, don't, I don't know what's right for you. I don't really know what's right for me. I, what I know is that I'm supposed to be seeking God's will for me, you know, doing God's will. And there's just so much about that step in the 12 and 12 that has hit home for me. And, and so really, I feel like I'm kind of coming out of this blackout where I see that I have been in self-will. I have um, not really been seeking God's. I've been, I've been comfort seeking rather than character building. 
And, and that's, you know, part of my character defects is comfort seeking. So, yeah. And, and not, and I've been thinking about where's mine, not necessarily how can, like, what can I give? I've been thinking about what can I get? I'm in sales, right? So I know you feel my pain, right? Like, listen, we have management saying, what do you, what have you done for me lately? Where, where are you going to hit your quota? What are you, where are you going to book this month? And so I'm always like getting, getting, getting. But I've decided to really let, allow God to work on me and, and my character defects around work. And I was doing this and I'm thinking, oh, but what if he's not going to fix me? I was scared. It sounds silly, but what if he's not going to fix me around this? And um, it's kind of funny because I picked up a journal and I started writing it. And then I looked back and it was a journal. It was a goal setting journal that I had. I didn't realize that that little notebook is what it was. And I was reading it and I had um, wanted to work on, what was it, my weight? Um, and I wanted to go to Hawaii. And I did those two things this last year. I finally dropped that 15 pounds that I had put on. And um, I scratched off a bucket list um, item, which was to take my family to Hawaii. And I thought, wow, you know, I don't know why I doubt God. I feel like, okay, this time, this time he's not going to fix me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I keep thinking that. I have, I have a God of evidence. And I'm, I want to write a book, uh, Evidence of God, because I feel like we all have these stories where God shows up in a miraculous way that only he and I get it. You know, and I have so many stories like that where, oh, that was God working in my life. I've heard, I've heard you mention the word evidence several times. Do you have a science type of background? I think that's just like how my brain works. I, I did, I did um, go to school. I was going to be a nurse. And, and so I did study physiology, anatomy. I've studied neuroscience. I'm just fascinated with facts and being objective, you know, like qualifying and quantifying things and measuring, like what can be measured can be managed, right? That's a Peter Drucker thing. I needed some evidence, right? Like I needed evidence in my, I'll tell you this one. I know we're going long on time, but I'll tell you this one little story about how God, evidence of God. So I am, this is several years ago. So, well, for 15 years ago to be exact, because I was pregnant with number two. I was pregnant with my youngest son. He just turned 15. So I was pregnant with him. And I had another little boy who was two years old. And um, my husband had been uh, laid off from his job. And uh, he had been laid off for a while. had been laid off for a while. And he was starting to, you know, he was going to this dark place of depression. And I was having to borrow money from my father just to, just to float the mortgage. And, and I was scared. I was scared. This is like, like after the dot-com crash, right? And I was like, what is the lesson? What is the lesson? I don't know what the lesson is. And because um, I feel like a lesson is repeated until it's learned. And, and the things that challenge me are there to change me. And I just didn't know what the lesson was. And I was scared. I thought we were going to lose this house. And Bob walks into Bob walks in. It was like 11 o'clock at night. And I had a daycare, by the way. So I had all these babies showing up. I had a daycare in my home. It was late at night. I don't know why I was up so late. It was like 11 o'clock at night. Bob comes in the room and he goes, you know, it's not that I want to kill myself. And then listen, I don't know what he said after that. That's all I heard was, oh my God, he's suicidal, right? He's, he's, he had been depressed. We were very close to losing our house. I was scared. And I was like, look, God, I don't, I don't know what, you, what it is that you want me to learn. I go, but I surrender. I absolutely surrender. And if you think that we should lose this house, then so be it. I'm done fighting. I felt so powerless. I was like, how, I was like eight months pregnant and I was physically hitting my limits sooner and sooner during the day. I just knew I couldn't do anymore. Like I was completely vulnerable and Bob was trying to get another job and he was doing some side hustles, house painting, and all kinds of stuff. But I was scared. And, um, but I'd hit that point of surrender where I was like, I don't know what the lesson here is, but I trust you. And what I know for sure is that we are loved. That no matter what happens, we're going to be loved. And that has to be all that counts. So I hit that place of surrender. And it was the holidays. It was just before Christmas. And we had to go over to my sister-in-law's house. And... um 
and we didn't have any money. And I was so ashamed, ashamed to have to come to her house empty handed. And I just thought, you know what, no matter what, she loves us and that's all that matters. And I went out to my car and it was a rainy, it was a rainy day. And I walked out to my car and under the windshield wipers, it still makes me cry today because I felt so scared and so unloved, but at this place of surrender, I walk out to my car and you know what, John, there was this, um, plastic wrapping, something was shoved under the windshield wipers and I took it out and I pulled it out and it was a gift card for a hundred dollars for the grocery store. And it was just the hope that I needed. It was a sign from God that, and I don't know who I knew it was like one of my friends in AA, AA probably, but um, somebody knew I needed help. And it was this anonymous lifeline that said to me, God loves me and everything is going to be okay. And I was able to go to the grocery store and buy something so that I could, didn't have to show up to my sister-in-law's house empty handed. And from that point on, things changed. Um, and there has been something about this energy of surrender that magic happens right after that. When I'm in that moment, that energy of surrender, I don't know what it is, where I'm just like, Jesus, take the wheel. Like, whatever it is that you want to have happen, I am here to serve you. I, I set aside my will for yours. Something magical happens. And Bob, shortly thereafter, got a job. Uh, we didn't lose our house. And I can't help but think that the, the lesson that I needed to learn, and my lessons always come at the 11th hour. I don't know why that is. Probably because that's when I surrender. I surrender at the 11th hour. But um, the lesson is that I am loved. No matter what happens, I will be loved. God loves me. My friends love me. They don't care how much money I have. They don't care if I live in a house. My friends love me no matter what. And that has carried me through everything else. God bless you. <laughs> thank you, Arlena A. 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 <laughs> listen, thank you so much for having me on. And yeah. thank you. Listen, I know how much work it takes to do a podcast. So if you're listening, please donate to his podcast because it is, um, it's a lot of work and it does cost the money. So uh, if you got anything out of this today, put a buck in the basket for our dear friend because he deserves it. Yeah, and I would say if you got anything out of this, I appreciate that, Arlena, but I would say pause your device, whatever you're listening on, and share it with a friend or family member so they can hear Arlena's story as well. Uh, that would be my ask of you. So uh, uh, if you have any thoughts or feedback, uh, you want to reach out, you can reach out to me directly. Uh, go to just uh, send a message to uh, via email at feedback, F E E D B. <laughs> you know how to spell feedback. Forget yeah, it. Know how to feedback <laughs> at soberspeak.com. Or you can uh, direct message me on uh, Instagram. I'm on there uh, every day. Um, and uh, I respond to most uh, comments or direct messages. Uh, that's uh, at soberspeak, all one word, soberspeak. And uh, um, here's what I'll end it with. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. God bless you, Arlena. Thank you again so much uh, for getting in touch with me. And I will put a link to Arlena's podcast, the ODAT chat, so you don't have to remember how to spell that, uh, in show notes for this uh, episode. Take care. Bye-bye.